I'm Kelly Kleiman. And I'm Jonathan Abarbanel. And we're the Dueling Critics. Welcome to our weekly podcast of reviews and news about Chicago theater. And today we're discussing The Language Archive, written in 2009 by Julia Cho, and now in its regional premiere at the Piven Theater in Evanston, running through March 23rd. The Language Archive concerns George, a university researcher who studies the world's languages, especially those at risk of disappearing in the near-term future. He knows hundreds of words and phrases that mean, I love you, but he cannot speak those words in plain English to his wife, Mary, who leaves him. George is unable to communicate effectively, not because he lacks linguistic skills, but because he fails to read emotional signals sent to him or to send out signals of his own. George is a closed emotional circle, a type of character author Julia Cho has treated in several of her plays. What Cho is doing in the language archive is to use language as an all-purpose metaphor. George is a linguist, as Jonathan has said. Everything that he does to try to preserve dead languages seems to stand for the efforts we make to preserve love after it has died. Mary, his estranged wife, spends her time waiting for George to say a magic word or three, like, I love you. And Emma, George's assistant, spends her time trying to learn the so-called universal language of Esperanto, but she can't learn to speak because she's afraid to tell George she loves him. So there's an enormous amount of metaphorical layering going on in this discussion of language and marriage. There are a couple of subplots. In one of them, George has brought in an old couple from some unknown Eastern European country, among the last living speakers of an esoteric language. They speak just enough English to get along, and they swear ferociously at each other, curse each other up and down in English, which they say is the proper language for doing that, but in their own language they speak only words of undying love as they proceed through life together, and they are the counterpoint. Mary also enters into not a relationship, but she meets another man who opens the door to the next phase of her life as a baker of bread, also a metaphor for, I guess, all that is wholesome and good and natural. Kelly, what do you think of that? If all this sounds a bit overdetermined, I think it is. Although under Polly Noonan's direction, the play seems almost to be about real people. This is the problem with fabulation, as far as I'm concerned, with fabulation in the theater, on the stage, as opposed to fables that are read. If fables are told through the bodies of actual human beings, we call them actors, we start to demand actual human emotions rather than clever epigrams masquerading as words of emotional wisdom. And so, although there's a lot of smart stuff in here. This is a 90-minute play, halfway through which I started looking at my watch. It is a 90-minute play with a 10-minute intermission. And this hadn't occurred to me. You actually opened my eyes the idea that this play is a fabulation and is highly epigrammatic in style. Now, Julia Cho, interestingly, she is a American-born, Korean-American playwright. And while she has occasionally written 
Korean-American characters. Usually she doesn't, though most of her plays, in one way or another, do deal with cultural disconnect. And in part, that's why you have this foreign couple as a contrast to George or to George and Mary in the language archive. I agree with you. I thought it was very nicely staged, very well directed. I particularly like the performance by Abigail Boucher as Mary, the wife, and I enjoyed the performance of Emily Tate as Emma, who keeps sending out signals to George, which he simply is never going to receive. Tori Hansen and Karen Buinas were the Eastern European couple, as well as all-purpose utility players. Which leaves me to praise George, played by Paul Fagan, because although this is a fable, he seems very real and grounded. You can feel his love and loss. You can even feel them at a time when Mary seems unable to feel them. The other thing that's very strong, I thought, about this production is Alex Palma's sound design. And I don't usually pay a lot of attention to sound design, but it is more evocative of the frailty of love and the difficulties of connection, really, than anything the playwright has written. There are beautiful fragments of not only words and phrases in foreign languages, but of foreign-sounding music. Some of it sounded Celtic, some of it sounded Eastern European, but the fragmentation and the delicacy of the music that accompanies the play makes the point about the fragmentation and delicacy of human relationships. From the standpoint of Simply watching the play, I was reminded of a comment by the satirical songwriter Tom Lehrer, who noted that lots of works address the question of people who can't communicate. And he said, if people can't communicate, the very least they can do is to shut up. (laughs) And that, unfortunately, was my response to Julia Cho's piece. I had seen her work The Piano Teacher, which was done at Next Theater several years ago. It's a very different kind of work and showed her facility with naturalism embedded in something larger. In that case, she was talking about the the preeminence and the omnipresence of evil, but she did it in the context of a real setting, someone's living room with a piano teacher and a piano students. Now, here she seems to have wanted to dispense with the naturalism and get right to the big issues, but in doing so, I felt that she drew a cartoon instead of either a portrait or a landscape. You felt the play was perhaps a little too schematic? A little bit. As well as epigrammatic. Did you see Cho's play Durango four or five years ago? I did not. Okay. Also a work of naturalism about an immigrant Korean-American father and his two late adolescent young adult sons and the very various cultural clashes that go on there. Again, the inability to communicate. In any case, we have... Let's call it mixed opinions about the language archive. I admired its wit and I guess its epigrammatic style. Kelly did not admire those factors so much. The regional premiere of the language archive by Julia Cho will continue through March 23rd at the Piven Theater at the Noise Art Center in Evanston. Jonathan, I understand you have a recommendation for us this week. I do have a pick and I want to recommend Seminar, the Chicago premiere of a recent play, it was about two years old, by Teresa Rebeck, and it's being done by the relatively new Haven Theatre Company. They are performing at Theatre Wit on Belmont Avenue through April 13th. 
Seminar is about a successful novelist, now in midlife, whose career for various reasons has tanked after two or three early great successes. Now he works as an editor, and he charges an outrageous sum of money, $5,000 a head, to conduct seminars for up-and-coming young writers. He is foul-mouthed, he is sexually opportunistic, and he abuses everybody. So why would anybody want to spend five minutes in the same room with this man? Well, that's the big problem I had at the beginning of the play. Once you get by that, once you accept the fact that, all right, these four young adult writers have anteed up their 5000 bucks and they're going to stick it out come hell or high water, then you can enjoy a play that really is uh, quite witty in many respects as it explores the persona of the writer, the eager writer, the not-so-eager writer, where talent may lie, and so forth and so on. It is well-performed, especially by the four young actors who play the writers, who are in varying degrees seductive and nerdy (laughs) in various respects. And the big guru is played by Tom Hickey, who has the intelligence for the role, but I wish I had a little more emotional passion and just outbursts of vocal volume from him. It's a smart play. It is nicely performed by Haven Theatre Company at Theatre Wit, Seminar by Teresa Reback, running through April 13th. Having at one point been a young, eager novel writer studying with an abusive teacher, I can say that young, eager novel writers will do pretty much anything to get to be old, embittered novel writers. And that probably answers why anybody would put up with this guy. The Dueling Critics podcast is a production of us. You can subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or go to DuelingCritics.net and click subscribe by email to have us delivered to your mailbox hot and fresh every Friday morning. You can also listen to our back catalog in SoundCloud. You can follow us on Twitter at Dueling Critters and you can like us on Facebook. I'm Kelly Kleiman. And you can read Kelly's work at HuffingtonPost.com and at ChicagoNow.com slash The Nonprofiteer. I'm Jonathan Abarbanel. And you can read Jonathan at WindyCityTimes.com, TheaterMania.com, and Footlights.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.